I'm Frederick Gerton, and I'm the filmmaker. And I'm Leilani Farha, and I'm the advocate. And this is Pushback Talks, and broadcasting from Malmö, Sweden, and... Ottawa, Canada. And in Ottawa, Canada, it's garbage day. <laughs> Always garbage day. <laughs> Always garbage day, because, you know, this is like early morning for you, but you've still been out there in the, like, three meters of snow with mm -hmm. your dog. Mm -hmm. Gorgeous day today. Yeah, and it and then the dog gets complicated when it's garbage day because there's a lot of smelling in Ottawa on special days. It's very true. So this is uh, pushback talks, and we are in the, we are in our second season, and that's kind of cool because we started this as like a, a pandemic shock, uh, <laughs> kicked out of traveling project, uh, and now we we meet like this every week, and it's cool. Uh, in Film Push, where you are the main star, you're, actually your dog Bean is also featured. It's true. But uh, you are like a little bit more famous than the dog in, in the film. So we talk a lot about the effect of the global financial crisis on the, 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 no, the situation on housing all over the world right now. Yes. And, and we open, when we talk a lot about, when we mention that it started in the U.S., it flew over to Spain and Ireland, where actually a lot of things happen. And in the film and also in our podcast, we've been talking a lot about Spain. But today, we're going to talk about Ireland. Why, why Leilani? Why Ireland? You know, I actually am surprised we haven't talked more about Ireland, and that this is the first time we've had a guest in from Ireland. Because when I think about the global financial crisis and the uber financialization of housing, my mind always goes first to Ireland, to be honest, because I, I guess that's where I heard about it being incredibly bad. So how bad? So our, our guest today is Rory Hearn, and he has many titles. I tried to get some of them from him. Uh, he is an assistant professor at the Manute University. He has a, his own podcast called Reboot Republic. And then he's written a book, which is like very relevant for us because it's called Housing Shock, the Irish housing crisis and how to solve it. Is that true? Rory, welcome to, to our pushback talks. Thank you, Friedrich. And thank you, Leilani. It's, it, I'm delighted to be, um, to be part of it today. And I'm looking forward to the discussion. So and and uh, we talked a little bit about Leilani's dog, but you have you have four kids and one is sleeping. Yes, so you there might be an interruption of a sad baby, but let's see let's see how it works. It's yeah. it's going to be interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, no dogs. I have enough children that I don't need dogs. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I mean, as an Irishman, you could probably have more, couldn't you? I mean, <laughs> no, no, I'm definitely at the limit. <laughs> You're done. You're done. So, yeah. and, and you are. You also like the world record in in uh, in, in lockdown. So you're you're sitting at home uh, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Home has become something that it, you know we've all all of us here on this podcast, and I'm sure your listeners as well, home and housing and its kind of role as a fundamental, um, I suppose, place where we start all of our lives, where we live all of our lives, 
you know, we thought about that before, but in a way, COVID has kind of put it even more in the spotlight. And with young children in particular, you're trying to homeschool, you're trying to find space to do all these things and try to work. And you just realize, you know, we're, we're the home is so fundamental from a starting point and hopefully it's going to be a, a reevaluation of that. Yeah. And I listened to your podcast while you, while you were out walking in the streets of Dublin. You can see families lining up for for hot soup in the middle of the winter. Yeah, it, it's really very sad. It's very, very sad. And the housing crisis in Ireland and why I wrote the book is something that is it needs to be talked about. It needs to be talked about. I think Ireland provides a global lesson for how not to do housing policies and um, for not how not to run your housing system. Um, you know, you talk about that, the the number of families, for example, who have been made homeless um, in Ireland since really 2013, 2014, since a kind of there was a reemergence. We've had boom busts in our housing market because we have handed our housing over to the market, which has been the fundamental problem. Um, families we had, I was looking at the figures, maybe around 300 families were homeless in 2014, 300 living in, and we call homeless, we don't have a broad definition of homeless. We've quite a narrow definition where it's families and people who are in emergency hostels, emergency accommodation. And that number reached in 2019, almost 1,700 families and almost 3,700 children. Um, living in emergency accommodation. Um, and of course, that has a huge, and some of the work that I've looked at has looked at the kind of detrimental impact on children um, of being homeless and being living in emergency accommodation. And it is, I think it's morally, ethically, you know, wrong. And it is in many ways criminal um, what we're doing to these families because it is our housing system and the failures of our housing system that has forced these families into these situations. Hmm. This is not. This is nothing we hear so much about, Leilani. You know, from from Ireland. No, it's not. And uh, I'm interested, Rory, in whether you, in your work, connect the dots directly. Like, do you think? Do you find a direct line? between the financialization of housing and the way that's rolled out in Ireland and homelessness? Like, can you, can you draw that line? It's a really interesting question. And I think that there's a number of ways. I've tried to, you know, look at it. And I suppose for me, when I've been looking at the housing crisis and, and I'm also part of, you know, social movements, campaigns, protests, uh, grassroots movement. So I'm not just looking at it from an academic perspective. Um, what what I've been struck by is that the housing crisis affects the homelessness is like the most extreme version. And you've talked about this in what you've written, Leilani. You know, our homelessness is the most egregious violation of human rights. It's the most extreme housing inequality. But there's a spectrum then. And there's so many people like Generation Rent who are stuck paying, you know, really high rents that you look at, I, I've named them as well, generations stuck at home. They, this younger generation now, and, and in Ireland, I was looking at, at the figures that over half of 25 to 29-year-olds, half of 25 to 29-year-olds in Ireland are still living at home with their parents. And for example, it's just 10% in Finland and Denmark. 
Wow, mm. and they're not even allowed to go to the pub. Not even, well, we can't <laughs> go to the pub now, but, but oh it my is, God. it is it's incredible. Like it must be total hell to be young. You're not even young when you're 25 to 29, my God. Yeah. No, no, it, and, and it's all, you know, they've shown research showing, you know, the mental health impacts, delayed family formation, all these, you know, ways in which housing has been affected. And I think trying to think through how financialization has kind of, you know, affected all these symptoms and, you know, you know personal devastation from housing and housing exclusion has been something that I've tried to look at. And I think if we if we look at Ireland, what happened in many ways, of course, financialization has different forms and different phases. And if we look at it prior to the, the great financial crash in 2008, the real financialization was about the extension of credit, you know, the, the mortgage lending boom. And also part of that was the expansion, particularly in Ireland, the UK and the US, of the whole buy to let sector of small landlords who would get, you know, loans off the banks and go buy up property. And this is really where we saw this kind of locking out of generation rent as housing became a commodity. But that financialization then, it's like it went on steroids, like it went and took cocaine (laughs) and went crazy after 2008. But it wasn't really until 2011 and 12 that that really took off in Ireland. And what happened was the government essentially turned to the global real estate funds and vulture funds and said, we've, and I use very bad language, we've effed up our housing system here. We have all these toxic loans, people who are in mortgage distress. We have all this land that developers bought up that is now sitting there on the bank, on the balance sheet of our banks. We want to save our banks. So will you come here and we'll just offload it to you? And uh, then we'll, we'll, our banks will get going again. So, I mean, in, in, in our talks and also in the film, we talk a lot about uh, this, the, big, the biggest hedge fund on the planet, Blackstone, mm. and how they moved into the American housing market, 2011, 2012. Yeah. But then also into Spain and into Ireland. So Blackstone is, has been, become a, one of the, the biggest players in Ireland, what I understand. Well, it's one of the big players. And, and it's interesting in Blackstone in Ireland has particularly got itself involved in what's called the commercial real estate sector, which is kind of more office building and office development and kind of supermarket development, which, of course, is linked to housing real estate because part of the issue, of course, is it's all about pressure on land and land values and land prices. And if you have real estate investors buying up land, for offices, which they did from 2010 onwards, that pushes out housing. But I was looking at the figures and it's fascinating. When you look at in 2010, the financial and insurance sectors and real estate sectors in Ireland bought 100 units. That's how many houses they bought, 100. In 2019, they bought 5,000. Wow. From 100 to 5,000. And we're a small country, you know, that's, that's in, in, and I looked at the figure for last year, how much, have a guess, how many of the apartments that were built in, in Ireland were bought by real estate funds or investors? How much would you say? 50%. Leilani? Um, 70%? 95%. Oh, my God. Well, can, yeah. can you see from what the... From where they they are from legislations they are bought are they from uh, from tax havens or from where are these companies based? 
So that's a really good question. And I wanted to come back to Leilani's question about homelessness and financialization as well, because I think that's a really challenging thing to do, to make that direct link. But the, the, first of all, on the tax in where they're coming from, they are rooting global funds. And Ireland is playing a role in the global um, financialization of housing because we have set up all these tax structures where global funds are using the tax system in Ireland to root their funds and basically avoid paying profits. And the Irish, it's incredible, the Irish government advertises itself globally as a place where you can come and essentially reduce your tax bill. So we are facilitating the global conversion of homes into commodities for the global wealthy. And of course, what's happened here is why the 2013 year is a really important year was because the government introduced a specific tax break for real estate funds. So they, can, they wanted to bring them in so that they would buy up the properties. The Irish property market, property industry was essentially broken. And so they said, well, let's turn to the global investors and they'll sort out, we'll give them a tax break. So we now have these funds buying up all these properties renting them out and paying very little tax. And I guess the rents have gone up, 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 up. Yeah, the rents are just, you know, they're actually really incredible. They're unbelievable when you think about it. We now, in Dublin, rents, the average rent for a two-bedroom apartment in Dublin was around a 1,000 euros in 2010. Today, it's over 2,000. Wow. wow. Crazy. Wow. So, you know, you're talking about, and, and the question of homelessness is then, where has homelessness come from? Where did these families come from? The majority of families and individuals who are being made homeless in Ireland are coming from the private rental sector. They're people who are being made homeless. And so the question is then, how do you look at how is that pressure on the rental sector from these financial actors pushed people into homelessness? And it's very difficult to get because we don't have this data on where people are being, you know, when people present as homeless, they say, well, where did you come from? They say the private rental sector. They don't ask, was it a REIT that evicted you or yeah. was it a small landlord? Our sense is it's still those small time buy to let landlords. But the question is, how much of that is that filtered by the global funds who have pushed up, you know, of course, rents and house prices. Um, but it, it, it's I think we're at a real like battle point, a crossroads in Ireland as to where our housing system goes as to how financialized it becomes. Because the interesting thing is there's been pushback. We had an election earlier um, last year where housing was the second, uh, when people went to vote, their second issue of concern along with health was housing, which meant housing has become very political, in part due to the social movements, the campaigns and the extent of the crisis. And what's interesting is the new housing minister, even though it's still a centre-right government, introduced a ban on co-living developments, which is a very significant development. These are these small, you know, investor built, uh, built to rent units that were kind of a much smaller size. They introduced new planning rules. What they haven't done is changed that tax break. But we also have for the first time developing this new Vienna housing model, the public housing rental that is available for people on low incomes and average incomes because our social housing here in Ireland is a very restricted form of social housing. It's only available to those on very low incomes. But in part because of the political pressure, we're seeing that. And we've seen a very big battle over public land and what public land is being used for. 
Um, and I think there's big because there was the other part of financialization that they were doing is they were doing these public private partnerships. I don't know if you've talked about these in terms we of haven't. the. De- the development of land, you know, it's these developments where they make with they basically hand over public land to private developers. They build a little bit of social housing and they sell off the rest of it for private mm. units. But so they were you, getting you go on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm going on. Go on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, you are opening up so many interesting doors. So I try to see. I mean, of course, what I what I hear is, OK, so you have all these you invite all this global money to your your beautiful island and then. The, the rent for ordinary people is doubled. You know, 2,000 euros is a lot. Even, yeah. you know, I mean, I, I guess this, the salaries hasn't moved that much. Yeah. N- that normally in no country it has. So it's like the salaries are more or less the same, but the rent is the double. So, so some people are doing fine and the rest are under a lot of stress. That's like the conclusion. So... So all this kind of being a safe haven for global capital it might be good for someone because I heard in your podcast that the the Irish billionaires have been doing great the, in 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 2020. It was a good year for the billionaires and not as good year for for normal people. But then Leilani, I know you are into the solutions and, and, and into the government politics of this. It's interesting. Yeah, well, that's what I, where I was going to go. What I, what I think is so interesting about the Irish or the Ireland case, when I look at it as an extra, you know, person on the outside of it, is government action is so clear. And the way you describe it, Rory, it's so clear that this is driven by government through legislative action and schemes and tax breaks. So like unlike other countries that I know of, Ireland set up what we call it NAMA. There's an NGO Mm. term for you, Frederick, the National (laughs) Asset, National Asset Management Agency. And they're very like it was set up by government to deal with distressed assets to to basically sell off distressed assets to global investors to make assets in Ireland available to all of these actors like Blackstone and etc and they're unabashed in it i mean they set it up they set up an agency to do that and when i called them out on that they were like, oh, well, we sold off assets to Irish investors too, as if that makes it better. It doesn't make it better. And what Rory says about real estate investment trusts, this is something we have learned, Frederick, you'll know from Spain, that if you set up, if you allow real estate investment trusts to operate, that's not a big deal. It's when you give them tax breaks that they they move in in a huge way and start really purchasing. In other words, it's the tax break that governments give to REITs that give energy to REITs, right? That's what motivates them. REITs, that, REITs, REITs. For our yeah. listeners, real estate investment trusts. It's I have never heard that word before, before I entered into this housing world. <laughs> uh, but this is like REITs, REITs, REITs. But it's good, it's good to know that it's... Uh, it's a, it's one of these financial instruments. It's a, it's, it's a, a way of how you can make money out of our homes. And then they REITs are building. I mean, if you, 
in the in in push you see a lot of houses shooting up in Toronto or in New York or other places, and they're all REITs driven constructions. It's quite often very poor architecture. It's like it's quick money for for some constructors, but they're also invited by this uh, tax uh, setup. Mm. Yeah. It, it's it's exactly, and I think that the question, like it, it does lead to so many questions, and it's like our housing system is being reshaped in their interest to suit them. And this was a big thing about that question of linking financialization with housing exclusion and homelessness. So, for example, there was a lot of proposals made by NGOs, made by um, opposition political parties throughout, kind of from 2014 onwards over the last few years to put in place, for example, you know, no evictions into homelessness or put in place, you know, landlords are very easy ways to evict people um, in Ireland. They can say, I want to move a member of my family in. You have to leave. If they're selling a property, if they're selling the property in Ireland, you can evict somebody. So, you know, that doesn't exist in, in a lot of European countries. It's a big problem here. So we also then had linked to the mortgage arrears crisis, a lot of those buy-to-let mortgages, the ones that landlords, they went into arrears and so they were taken over by receivers or bought up by these funds. And then when those receivers took over, the tenants were told, you're leaving because we're going to sell the property. But of course, they weren't actually selling it. They would just get in higher paying tenants. But there was all these calls for strengthened tenant protections against eviction. But the government said explicitly in the parliament, we are not going to introduce those because if we do, we, it will affect the uh, attractiveness of property as an investment because we need these investors to come in and build housing because we don't have our local private developers doing it and we can't afford to do it as a government. So the only way to address our housing shortage is to get these investors into build. And this, of course, is the core of the problem. Governments have stopped building, well, the Irish government did, stopped building social housing and affordable housing. So they handed it over to the market. So the investors do what they do. They take the opportunity. And this is also, I mean, in the in-push, Saskia Sassen says very clearly that governments are poorer now than they were 40 years ago. And, it, and, and when you see this pattern and you see that the, the billionaires of, of America they became 25% richer in 2020. You know, so they have found a way to print money, but governments don't have that way. Well, governments right now are printing money, but then, exactly. they, have to, but then they, have to, they have to pay that money back. But the investors print money and they just get richer. So, mm. so there, there's, there is a growing... The, I mean, the inequality gap is growing between us and the rich, but also between the governments and the rich. Yeah. Which means that the governments are in a, I mean, they're in, in some way in the same position as us. But of course, they have still an army. <laughs> they still have legislations to move. They do, with. they do. But they also have a political choice still. They have the political choice if they want to. I don't agree with this idea. Yes, governments are poor, but they've made themselves poor because the strategies they have taken. If they need to borrow, and we've seen with the COVID response, if they need to borrow to build, they can. It's, they have become taken over by the market ideology that the best form of housing is to get people to buy their own home or 
just, you know, they can rent from the private sector, rent from investors. And that really government doesn't have the role of building social housing anymore or providing social housing. The, the Margaret Thatcher dream of neoliberal, you know, ideology. And what happened is that during, in Ireland anyway, in the austerity period of the 2010 until 2017, that reached its what we call zenith or ultimate utopia. They completely stopped building social housing. There was only hundreds of social housing units built for a number of years. I call it the lost decade of social housing in Ireland. And that contributed directly to homelessness because those who are at the most extreme end of housing exclusion, for example, our indigenous traveller population, who the private landlords won't rent to them because they discriminate against them, or lone parents, for example, who can't afford the rent and can't access and also suffer discrimination, or migrants who are undocumented, they before would have got social housing, which didn't discriminate in the same way the market does. But because now that we have made social housing, even in Ireland, to come through the private market, the private landlords, those who are at the very bottom are excluded. And I think that's where the homelessness has come from. And that's where the kind of the shift back needs to go. And the the interesting thing about COVID, of course, a response, and I know this is something that you wanted to talk about, was that during COVID, they implemented the moratorium on evictions. What they said they couldn't do, what they said was, because we have a right to private property in our constitution, what they said was against the constitution, they couldn't do. They did overnight. They implemented a ban on evictions. And you can look at the numbers of families who present as homeless and when, as soon as the moratorium was introduced last year, in March and April, the numbers collapse. They actually stopped homelessness for a period of time. And we have now, we're more or less in different forms of lockdown since then in Ireland, unfortunately, as we know. Um, and so therefore, there's been moratoriums on and off. And so we have seen a fall in homelessness. We've also seen families from emergency accommodation been moved into what were the Airbnb short-term lets. All this housing that we, you know, there was this shortage. Suddenly there's apartments available. Suddenly there's these units, which were also financialized, of course, which is an aspect of financialization and commodification of housing. Suddenly we see the solutions that are there. But of course, these are temporary. And that's the real worry, that when COVID is, finishes, when the tourists come back, the families will be kicked out again. We haven't had housing built because construction sites have closed. The shortage is worse. My fear is that the crisis will be even worse when COVID kind of, um, well, we're always going to be living with COVID to a certain extent, but as the crisis kind of reduces in that extreme sense. Hmm. I, can I just ask, uh, or I just wanted to mention actually, in Canada, some studies have been done about um real estate investment trusts, and if you were to tax them the way you tax other businesses, it would result in uh, billions of dollars generated that could go into the creation of more housing for more people and affordable housing. I'm wondering in Ireland where the energy is, where's the activism right now in terms of trying to create better 
housing conditions. I mean, I've heard various things that that some people are arguing for the human right to housing in the Constitution. Um, Other people might be arguing for even more regulation of Airbnb, or although Ireland has pretty good regulation, as I understand it. But um, just wondering, where is the action? Where is the energy uh, in the housing circles, tenant movements in, uh, in Ireland? Yeah, so that's, I'm glad you asked that because I think it's something that's, you know, has been very hopeful within the, this crisis has been that emergence since kind of 2014 and 15 of these grassroots housing movements. Um, initially, it was around homelessness. We had homeless families protesting on the streets. We had new charities, organizations set up to support those who were homeless and actually mobilize and advocate around it. There's still a lot of energy around highlighting homelessness um, the impacts of it, you know, for example, we've like two thirds of our hostels in, in Dublin are run by private for profit companies. You know, only four percent of our budget. We're now spending 250 million a year on emergency accommodation, 250 million a year. We have 100 hostels in Dublin. Um, it's just it's unbelievable. So does it there's a lot of energy around trying to kind of move from what we call managing homelessness to eliminating it. And there's a new campaign by one of the NGOs, Focus Ireland, calling for a government plan to end homelessness. There's other groups. There's a new tenants union has been set up, which is brilliant. CATU is their name, Community Action Tenants Union, which is they, the activists within that emerged from a much broader social movement. We had huge protests across society movement before COVID. COVID. They are now organising tenants, trying to stop evictions that are going on, trying to promote um, help tenants in terms of poor conditions. There's also the energy, as you said, around the right to housing and the constitution. And, and for me, that's quite an important one. I think that we still face this real conflict in Ireland. And so I just wanted to say another really significant kind of people power activism that happened was the links back to what I was talking about earlier. There was a proposal to essentially sell off, privatise public land in Dublin, land owned by the local authority, the council, to do one of these developers with a global real estate fund um, or eventually would become sold off. And the local councillors in the council were have the ability to vote on this whether the land is sold or not and there was a huge grassroots campaign by a local community plus online kind of digital activists and they managed to convince all the councillors to vote against the sale of the land and to put it back to the government and say we want public only housing on this land we want affordable public housing and they're now developing a new plan that looks like it will be um, support. I think it will be supported. So there's some positive developments there. And the energy around the right to housing, why I think that that's important is because we still have this conflict between, you know, is the government trying to promote the market, which essentially it still is. It, it has its, it, the aim of policy is how do we get that market going again? How do we get the market to deliver housing again? And of course, we know the market will never deliver affordable housing, but they're like stuck in this kind of conflict where they feel the pressure from the public, but they also still have their ideology and their perspective. And I think that the right to housing for me and for a lot of people, NGOs and activists, it's it, it's a way of reframing and restarting. We say, no, the housing system is about ensuring everybody has the right to adequate housing, which you've set out so clearly, Leilani that that's what the housing system is about. And that's what housing policy should be about. That's what the purpose of government should be about. 
to ensure everybody has the right to affordable, secure, adequate housing. And therefore, for me, the Constitution, you start with the Constitution, you get it in the Constitution, you have a referendum and then you flows into legislation. It flows into policy and people as well are empowered with that. And I think that's really where there is energy growing around it. And I'm hopeful about that. Mm. That's cool. There is hope on on Ireland, and 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 we will, it's good for us to know that we there is something to look out for. What is what is cooking? Because what we all need are inspirational stories of of pushbacks. We we have talked a lot about Berlin, talked about Denmark with a new legislation coming up, uh, also Barcelona being an example of very strong, uh, where governments actually fight back. So Leilani, but you you have been in talks with the Irish government, you you wrote a letter to the Irish government. Do they do they still talk to you? <laughs> They're not talking to me right now, but I haven't reached out to them. I will say, I I thought it was so interesting when you were talking, Rory, about the need for a constitutional recognition of the right to housing, and the government of Ireland did discuss that with me directly uh, through uh, letters, and I mean, they say. Um, that constitutional recognition is um, not necessary. And um, I take issue with their position. I mean, they, I, my opinion was that they don't really believe that housing is a human right. And they don't want to see it recognized that way. They don't want people to claim the human right to housing. Um, they said it would be too expensive, which suggests they don't really understand what the human right to housing is about because it's not about everyone just claiming a you know that the government should provide them with a home right away um, it's it has much um, broader implications than that and it, it doesn't mean that governments have to cough up a house um, it means that people should be able to access housing and um, yeah I, I was a little disheartened by the government I mean when I reviewed what they said to me they painted a very rosy picture of housing in Ireland, that they're building social housing, they're addressing homelessness, they're keeping the big global financial actors at bay. But you've told us quite a different story. I'm really happy to hear about some of the pushback, though, that's happening there, um, particularly interested in the those people in this, you know, who managed to keep the public asset or the land as public asset, because that's so important. Mm. And and Rory, when I saw you in in the break here, opening your earphones and listening if your baby was crying or not, but it seems like you're you're doing fine. We're actually about just to to round up the podcast also, but you, yeah. you but come and I mean it seems like we always made it, isn't it? It's cool. Yeah. So <laughs> no but I will ask you, uh, Rory, also because in the, in the, our coming episodes now this spring, we will have. Um, the, the Vice President of the European Commission, Franz Timmermans, will be a part of the show. We also have the, the Danish Housing Minister coming in, Kåre uh, Dybvedt. So maybe, what would you send on to the, the European Social Democrats? What would you like them to act on? Do you have any advice? Also, the Danish Housing Minister is also Social Democrats. What, what do you want more from them to, that would help strengthen your position, your debate on Ireland? Well, I think that the key thing at a European level is that, you know, while Europe doesn't have direct competency in, for example, housing um, in member states policies, what it does have is clear uh, power with, for example, the European Investment Bank. 
And the European Investment Bank is actually supporting and part investing towards some of the new, what I called, referred to earlier, the Vienna housing model, the public housing uh, model here in Ireland that we're starting to roll out. But we're only looking at maybe 400 units being built in the next year. We need 4,000 a year being built. And the European Investment Bank funding coming from Europe is central to us being able to achieve that. Absolutely essential. And I think, again, no different than Ireland and the right to housing in the Constitution. I think an issue around it is how is the right to housing made meaningful at a European level? How is it made meaningful that Europe plays a role in really pressuring and working with member states to ensure that right to housing is delivered practically. Um, and I think, for example, there is issues around the the whole issue of, you know, the way still home ownership mortgages, the way they look at banks, the way they look at financial institutions as, you know, the mortgage product is central to, you know, how the whole financial system operates. Obviously, the, the tax breaks, there's a lot financially Europe can do to make, promote, for example, cooperative lending, support for cooperative housing, support for affordable housing. There's the EU fiscal rules and how they restrict government's ability to actually spend and invest. There is the whole treatment of housing itself. Um, there's whole you know, issues of debt, which is obviously within the fiscal rules. But I think Europe itself needs to, as part of the social project, be so much more clear that an ambition of Europe is to make sure there's no homelessness in Europe to make sure that everybody has affordable, secure homes. And Europe has that as a core strategy um, and not just about creating markets and investment products and ensuring the free open market. This we will for sure send on to to Mr. Timmermans. It will be it'll be interesting because you know we you know it's in, I mean our audience of this podcast is global. We we actually found we have listeners in 100 countries, but the, the biggest audiences are in the UK. U.S., Canada, Sweden. and also Sweden. <laughs> uh, so it's 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 always been like a competition. Who is who's first? Because we have people sleeping rough in Europe, and we have people sleeping rough in Canada, and in in the U.S. We have 40 million people one rent away from eviction. I mean, it's like this is a global disease. And then if we talk about the global south, we we have this the same problem, but sometimes even worse. Leilani, how, do, how, how would you like to sum up our today's pushback talk? I wanted to just say that that last piece, Rory, about what Europe could do, the European Union could do, I think was so bang on. There is a lack of connection between housing and finance when, you know, governments will say, oh, you know, we don't have, or the European Union will say, we don't have, we don't have the um, power to in, engage in housing. That's at the, you know, state level. Well, you have financial power, as you just articulated, and you have fiscal rules and monetary rules, both of which have a big role to play in housing. And getting people to understand that is so important to solving this, I think. So I really... I'm hoping, Frederick, that we can play Rory's clip to Franz Timmermans as a uh, uh, throwing down the gauntlet and see what he, how he reacts to that. It might be possible to get a reaction. Yeah, we yeah. will get a very long answer, though. <laughs> and, and, but anyway, it's it's fine. Well, let's let's try it. Uh, we will leave a link to your book and to your podcast in the blurbs of this episode. So look for it there, my dear friends. Uh, so this was Pushback Talks, uh, episode two, season two. It's like double two. 
Leilani, are you happy? <laughs> I am happy. And I'm really happy to have interviewed Rory, who has interviewed me several times and many times. The first time in Dublin, you'll recall, there was a heat wave. It was like the only heat wave ever in Dublin. And I was there for it. And you interviewed me, if you'll recall, in a very hot hotel room. In a very hot hotel room. <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> Absolutely. Wonderful, wonderful interview. But uh, Rory, uh, your baby is still, uh, still sleeping. She's, she's still sleeping. So it's wonderful. She, she, she knew. I told her, I told her I had the podcast. So she said she'll have an extra long nap. So that's, good. that's responsible yeah. kids. Yeah, that's good. And you know, she will stay at home for 29 <laughs> years more. So it's uh, <laughs> at least. <laughs> well, this is, you see, this is when I, when I, when people, people ask me, what's, why are you so motivated about the housing crisis? I have four children to find housing for. I need bloody affordable housing built. <laughs> <laughs> you, because otherwise you have at least 30 years more with them at home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I really enjoyed it. It's lovely actually being interviewed because obviously on my podcast, it's always me interviewing. So it is nice to be interviewed and not, you know, and enjoy the discussion as well. And I have to, you know, say thank you to both of you for the work you do, you know, on highlighting the issue, because I think housing in many ways became almost, you know, a forgotten issue in some ways, I think. And that we've seen that to our cost, you know, and COVID hopefully will be a re-evaluation of the value of home and the importance of it. And you're playing a key role in that, so thank you. Cool. Uh, Rory, I, can, can I ask you for a favor? Because we, uh, we have, um, as you have, we, have uh, we don't have any money, so we also have a Patreon. It's Patreon uh, Pushback Talks. Could you plug it for us? Just... Yeah, absolutely. I think I would encourage people to really, you know, sign up, support, become a Patreon supporter to Pushback Talks. And it's really important to have these podcasts that are covering covering the key issue of housing and home. And we need a major change globally. And we're only going to get it if we talk about it, if we create the ideas and if we do it through action. Thank you. So and remember, you don't have to be rich to support us. Two two dollars a month is also good. It's also money. It's like because we want to become a family. So please join in. Leilani, it's garbage day. Are you going are you planning for a second trip or are you are your dog losing out now or we're not, we're not, I'm not going back out there. No. It's too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Takes too long with the dog on garbage day. Nope. Mm-hmm. Staying home. So what do you think it's time for here in Malmo now soon? Oh, was there a game on or something? No, no, it's, it's wine time. <laughs> oh, wine time, yeah. right. <laughs> of <laughs> course. Like no, come on. It's a little early for wine bars, time. Our uh, bars, are they, they, they have to stop serve alcohol at, at 8 o'clock. So oh, I, uh, so it starts early. Yes, of course. So I, I need to, to to wrap up here so we can get started off in some drinking. You have to start to drink earlier. Otherwise, you can't get drunk, you know. So it's... That's the wow. plan. Pressure. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay. Enjoy, Frederick. Thank you very much. And thanks, Rory. Thanks. Bye. Thank you, guys. Pushback Talks is produced by WG Film. To watch Push, visit pushthefilm.com. You can also support us by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash pushbacktalks. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week.